Well, well, well. Welcome back to Life in Paradise podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Harper. This is the only podcast on the interwebs that has nothing to do with the title. Because today, I have been living in the opposite of paradise. I'll get into that a little bit more. But first, I want to thank you for tuning in Life in Paradise podcast. I appreciate you. I'm just a regular dude with a regular job and lots and lots of opinions. So I come here about once a week to get them off my chest. Some you'll agree with and others you won't, and I'm perfectly okay with that. Because when it all boils down, it's just my opinion. Let's do a better job learning how to disagree without being disagreeable. If there's one thing you'll know about me, it's that I don't do pre-recorded intros. Today is Sunday, March 20th, 2022. It's an awesome day outside, the kind of weather I live for. So every door I own is open, and I'm soaking in all the fresh air I can. Thanks again for tuning in. Sit back, relax, and let me have the string to the hot air balloon for about the next 30 to 45 minutes. blood pressure be sky high today. Nothing to do with Obama or Elizabeth Warren or Bro Jiden. Well, a little bit with Bro Jiden. But man, I have come to realize that I am behind technology. I want nothing to do with it. I hate it. I don't know nothing about it. I don't like to waste my time messing with it. And what this all stems from, this is all buried deep down inside me trying to get this stupid thing set up for YouTube. And I found some camera online that all these YouTubers were like, yeah, so like this is the best camera for streaming, bro. It's like super easy. You just plug it in. It like plays. And then you could be on your way to like YouTube stardom. And so <laughs> I go out. I buy this stupid camera for like $900. Then I buy some stupid tripod. Then I go to connect it to my computer, and I need some stupid software. So then I go get the stupid software. It's free. It's from Sony. You know, I hate how all these brands make you put in their own software. Trust me, nuts. So I, I get the stupid software. I install the stupid software on my stupid computer. And my stupid computer tells me, you don't have enough space for this software. So then I go through, and I start just deleting things. I delete everything I could find. I go to this story that I'm telling you is over the course of about a week. So just just keep on listening. It gets better. So I go start deleting stuff. And always, it always happens this way. I delete more than what they tell me that I need. Boop. Sorry, software cannot be installed. Your computer is dangerously low on space. But I just deleted everything. I deleted like half of my crap on my computer. It's gone. And it still didn't work. So, I was faced with two options. I could go buy another computer. Or I could go buy some hard drive and try to run it in conjunction with my old laptop. And when I say old, I'm talking like 2017. You know, I used to get 10, 12 years out of a laptop. Now I'm lucky if I can get seven. So, I thought, you know what? I'm going to shop a little bit. So, I started looking for computers. And I found this thing called the Mac Mini. And it's just a square. It's literally like two inches tall by seven inches by eight inches. And that's the whole computer. You got to bring your own monitors. You got to bring your own mic, your own camera, everything. It's keyboard, mouse, which is fine because I had all that. I've got like five Apple keyboards somehow. I don't know how I got them, but I got them. So I decided to buy the Mac Mini. I find they have one at Best Buy. I ordered it online. I say, I'm going to pay online, and I'm going to come pick it up. 
I don't want to have to walk around the store and find someone to help me and get someone to find the keys and then open the gate and say, well, it says we have strange stuck, but I don't say any in here. So I, I don't like doing that. And so I ordered it. I said, look, I'm going to pick it up two hours. That gives them plenty of time. I get there. I show up. Wh- wh- what do you think happens? If you had to guess... What, do you think they had it right there, ready, waiting for me to go? Oh, yes, sir, Brandon, here you go. Here's your Mac Mini. Oh, you've already paid for it. Just go on about your way. Nope. No, no. Oh, they haven't picked it yet from the shelf. And it's my experience that are all these big box stores, Best Buy, Lowe's, Home Depot, that the, the online ordering crap never freaking works. Never. Never. You hear me, Lowe's never, ever, ever works. Every time you show up, it's not ready. So sure enough, I said, okay, can you go Can you go get it off the shelf and give it to me? Mm-mm, no, uh-uh. you're going to have to cancel that order online, and then we'll, um, we'll have to, you'll just have to pay for it in store. And so <laughs> all the time that I spent buying it online was a complete waste of time. Never again. I'll never do it again. I hate going to stores. I want everything left on my front porch. I don't want to have to shake your hand. I don't want to have to wear a mask on when I see you. I want my stuff on my porch, and I want you to leave. That's how I am. I know it sucks. I'm going to end up being a hermit, but that's just how it goes. So that takes us to yesterday. I get home. I take the Mac Mini out of the box. I connect it. Of course, it wants to do all this setup and import everything from all my computers all over the world and all my devices. I don't want to do that. I just want to use this thing to operate the YouTube setup, the video, the mic, the mixer, the streaming switcher, the everything you can think of. And now I kind of sound like Trump, but that's okay. So I get it hooked up. What's the first thing happen? I don't know. It doesn't recognize the stupid camera. You got to go download some other plugin. Make sure your firmware is up to date. Then I had to update the software on the brand new computer that I just bought. Spent six hours letting it download and updating software. Brand new computer. Paid $1,000 for it. Comes with out-of-date software. How does this happen? I don't know. Spend all this time figuring out how to hook it up. The computer, the, the HDMI on the back of the computer, it only works one way on a Mac. That means it only works as an input. Every other connection on every other device around the world, HDMI can operate as an input or an output. But nope, not the Mac. What do you have to do? Oh, well, first of all, you have to buy the $70 adapter and and then try that. And if that doesn't work, then you have to buy a capture card that converts it to USB. And then there's all these settings on the camera that you're trying to match up. It Listen, it is not for me. I come to realize I'm not cut out for technology. If I knew to pick up the phone and who to call to say, hey, I'll pay you 300 bucks to come set this thing up. It'll take you probably 30 minutes. I've consumed like 15 or 20 hours of my time now. And if you can't tell, I'm a little frustrated because I'm still at a standstill. I've been on phone with India all day today trying to get it sorted out. And what was my conclusion? These people can't help me. They're, they're, the Apple people blame it on the streaming switcher. The streaming switcher people blame it on the camera. And the camera people blame it on Apple. There's no answers. So you go to Reddit, you go to YouTube. And where I'm at now, I've ordered another thing called a capture card that's supposed to be able to allow me to do this whole thing. I told you. I told you my blood pressure was high. Because what's frustrating to me the most is that when I was a kid, and, you know, you hear people say this all the time. Oh, man, this, this, those kids, they got technology figured out. It has run away from me. It's gone. I'll never be able to catch it. I don't care how it works. I just want to walk in and sit down and use it. And that's how my grandfather used to be. So here I am, Grandpa Status 2022. Uh, uh, uh. Which leads me to my first real topic of discussion. I'm feeling kind of long-winded today, so it might this might be a long one. I don't know. I might get frustrated, and I might want to go play outside. But I got to thinking about time and how everyone says time is money. Time is money. Time is money. You've heard that all the time. Time is money. Time is money. I think time's more valuable than money. And the reason for that is because money, at least to an individual, can be infinite. You can, you can continue to acquire money. 
You can earn more. You can work more. You can save. You can invest. So you could keep getting more of it. Time is a limited resource, and you can never get it back. Now, you can invest it with the hopes of, you know, put in a bunch of work now and be able to Cadillac in the future. But it's still, it's a limited, finite resource. And so I realized that all everyone does, pretty much, is try to get your time. Whether it's a business setting or a marketing company or an interviewer or your supervisor or someone at work that wants to tell you a funny story or customers who come in and think you should sit down at the table with them and just have a long conversation at the brewery in the middle of the day. And I think people fail to realize that time is is more valuable than money. And the value that you place on your time is simply how much you're willing to get paid in exchange for it. And this is something that people have a hard time grasping, especially when you hear people say things like, blankety blank blank should be paid more. But they can't tell you how much they should be paid. They just think they should be paid more. And really, all your time is worth is what you're willing to sell it for. And as you get older, when you have less and less time ahead of you, it becomes more valuable. And so I encourage everyone to think about time as a limited resource. And if you can appropriate it, and if you can, you can buy your time back by paying someone to do things that you don't want to do for a lesser rate than what you're willing to work for. And I know that's kind of out there. I promise I'm not on mushrooms. But it's the reason why we don't cut the grass or clean the pool. Or work on the air conditioner. Because it costs us more to sort through those things and figure them out than, than what it does to pay someone if, we, if we're valuing our time. And this is also a conundrum that small business owners find themselves in. Is that they, they think about it. Oh, well, my company made X amount of money. But if they were to break it down to see how much money they got paid per hour. I'm going to say that a little bit slower. If they were to break it down and saw how much they got paid per hour, more than likely they'd all be disappointed. So think about that going forward. Think about what your time's worth and what you're willing to pay to buy it back. Because everyone's time is worth something, as long as you work. If you don't have a job, then yeah, your time is, is worthless, and you should do everything yourself, and you shouldn't pay anyone to do anything for you because you are, you're in a bind or you're worthless, one of the two. And while we're on the subject of time, I want to talk a little bit about a documentary that I watched on Netflix. Now, I understand that I'm, I'm late to the party on most things Netflix-related. But I watched an awesome documentary. It's called 14 Peaks. And it's about a guy from Nepal who's a mountain climber. And he set out to climb the 14 tallest peaks in the world in a short amount of time. So much shorter than anyone else that no one thought it could be done. So this dude set out to climb all 14 peaks. They're all over 8,000 meters, which is 24,000 feet, which is like the tippy-tippy top of the world, as AOC would say. And the fastest anyone had ever done this so far was seven years. And they were interviewing guys who had tried it before, and they're, you know talking about a specific mountain. These are these rich, white-collar guys that spend 20, 30, 40 grand to try to go peak a summit. And there was one guy who was like, yeah, I've tried to climb this one five times and haven't made it. And so this little Nepali guy named Nims said, I'm going to do them all in, in seven months. He just started climbing mountains in 2012. And so he wanted to put together a documentary, kind of make it a... Um, a project where you go, he was going to go attain funding and get someone to sponsor it, and then that way he could have enough money to cover his, his trip because it's not cheap to climb those mountains. you got to have helpers. And so he assembled a team of Nepali homeboys that, that were his friends that were guides, and so they all signed up. Now, they couldn't go at the rate that he could go. So I think he had like 10 or 12 guys, and he would have three or four with him on one trip, then they would take a little time off, and the next group would go then they would take some time off so it had a little rotation 
And I'm talking about harsh conditions. The worst thing you can imagine. You know, everyone said, you know, you're not going to survive. You won't make it. And he kept pushing on and pushing on. And, you know, what, what really struck me about this whole thing was that it's motivating. It's motivating for to know that there's people out there that can keep pushing themselves to the limits. No matter what anyone says, no matter what's been done in the past. Now, can everyone go climb those mountains? No, of course not. But everyone has their own genre of mountain climbing that if they want to, they can be the best. Now, it didn't come easy for this guy. He worked as a special forces operator in Nepal. And when he was in training, he would wake up two hours before his alarm went off. So you can imagine that your alarm probably goes off at four. He would get up at like one or two, go run 20-something kilometers with a 75-pound vest on just to, just to push himself because he wanted to be better than anyone else in his little platoon or squadron or whatever you call it. And it's really mind-boggling to me to, to think about the Kardashians and the fame that they got compared to this guy. And I can't quite understand why or how people can be more entertained watching people drive expensive cars and sleep with other people and spend money. I don't see why that's more entertaining than seeing someone accomplish like ridiculously impossible goals. But apparently it is. And it's part of our culture. And it's like I always say, you don't you don't just change a culture. You gotta do it one person and one generation at a time. So if you haven't watched it, I would highly recommend it. If you have kids, I would put this guy on a pedestal. I would encourage my kids to try to be like this guy and take on the world and to do things that no one said you can do. This guy's what should motivate people, you know? This guy should be the one that we all look up to, the hero. But no, no, we're we're too busy arguing about transvestites swimming competitions whereby, like, there's five of them in the country. And sure, I don't agree with it. But is it something that we should focus on? Is it something that really matters to the rest of the world? I think enough people will fight that battle that it doesn't take us posting up by the water cooler or the coffee maker at work and talking about it nonstop. I, I can't think of anyone that I know in my life who agrees with a transvestite swimming competitor swimming against an opposite gender. I mean, there's no one that agrees with that. It can't last long. We know that. Move on. Move on. Our countries, our politicians are trying to give a few hundred billion dollars to go to war. And our dollar's about to collapse. Who cares about transvestite swimmers? Speaking of funny jokes, I was a big fan of Ronald Reagan when I was a kid. I didn't know why. Probably because my dad was. And my grandfather was. And so, recently I've gone back and started researching presidents. It's kind of been my my thing to do when I'm bored or killing time or standing in line or waiting for my computer at Best Buy that I ordered two hours before I got there to pick it up. And I came across a bunch of Ronald Reagan jokes. And I guess he was famous for his joke telling or storytelling, which makes sense, right? The guy was an actor. But <laughs> most of his jokes, or at least the ones I saw, were about the commie Russians. And he had all these jokes that he would tell about how tough life was in Russia. One of them was right here. I, d I don't have any clips because it takes so long to import these stupid clips. I do have some, some bro Jiden clips coming up, but, but you'll have to wait for those. So one of his jokes was, you know, he went to, they, uh, the Russians built a car factory called Lada, Lata, L-A-D-A, I think. And it was during the Soviet communist era when the government owned everything. And so the story goes that the, the old Russian feller showed up to order his car, and they said, okay, it'll be 10 years. It'll be here in 10 years, so just come back then. Mark it on your calendar. And the guy says, or the customer goes, well, morning or afternoon? 
And the salesman said, dude, who cares? It's 10 years from now. Why does it matter? And the customer goes, oh, because the plumber's coming that day. And then the crowd <laughs> interrupted in laughter. And I think it's hilarious because it's like, it's making fun of how inefficient communism is. And he's exactly right. And he, there's tons and tons more. So I'm not going to keep telling them. I would encourage you to go look them up. Ronald Reagan, Russia jokes. There's lots of them. And it was so refreshing to see a president who was confident enough to get up there and tell jokes about his enemies. I mean, Biden wouldn't even consider that. They're, they're bootlickers. They run around and they just they want to be friends with everyone. And if you're friends with everyone, you guessed it, you're friends with no one. I'm sorry, but that's just the way it goes. You think about the guy who is everyone, everyone loves him. He's always the life of the party. He's great. He's funny. Everyone, what is he doing? What's he up to? There's no one really close to him. He doesn't have anyone that's like ride or die. And this is just my observation. This could be purely anecdotal. Uh, you may tell me I'm wrong. You may have studied sociology, but it's been my observation that the guys who are, are liked by everyone are kind of loved by no one. And I apologize if that's a cliche. I don't know. I don't know if it is or not. It kind of sounds like it might be. But, I, you know, I know that people didn't like Trump's attitude, and I didn't really like it either. And I know people didn't like his mean tweets. And I don't really care about mean tweets. It doesn't matter to me. But let's look at what's happening. We have this guy who's trying to lead our country that's terrified. He's terrified to do anything. So we're in a position of having to buy resources from our enemies. Whereas you look back at Reagan, and he was telling jokes about his enemies. You know, I, I would wonder what would happen if someone went up to Bro Jiden and said, hey, you should tell some jokes about Putin. <gasps> That's terrible. Whatever. Tell jokes about people. Man, come on, man. Jokes are going by the wayside. Everyone's so scared to offend people. And pretty soon, we'll only tell jokes when no one's looking. We won't share jokes anymore. We won't put them publicly. It's crushing. This this whole cancel culture is crushing sense of humor. Ask Dave Chappelle. He'll tell you about it. Ask all these comedians who won't go to college campuses because every joke they tell gets booed by someone. And it's this overly sensitive attitude. It's these people that that get offended by everything are canceling humor. And I, I don't know. It's pretty crappy to me. Take note, pretty soon we'll all just be a bunch of robots scared to tell jokes. In fact, while we're here on the topic, if you find joy in this podcast or if you like it, please share it with someone. Tell a friend about it. I know it's kind of controversial, and I know that not everyone agrees with everything I say, but if you agree with my sentiment and you think someone could learn from it or enjoy it, pass it along because... You know, I, I think that we should all be willing to stand behind our opinions. And I'm not saying that we should run around and, you know, be the loudmouth that blasts who's an idiot for voting for bro Jiden, you idiot. How do you feel now, you idiot? I'm not that guy. But I do think that people's opinion matters. And the more people can show people how they feel, the more honest society is, even if they don't agree. And I... I've, I'm fully aware that everything I say is just my opinion. And if I ever get canceled for spreading misinformation, my rebuttal is going to be, it's just my opinion. You don't have to think it's right. I don't care. I don't really care if you agree or disagree. But it's my opinion, and I want to put it out there. So that's what I do. Once or twice a week. Or two or three. And if you disagree with everything I say, go ahead and share it anyway. Go ahead and share it. I, I need to get some traction here, guys. And the only way that happens is if you tell a friend. You know, if you go eat a good steak and you like it, you always tell people. But if you hate it, tell people too. It's like Voltaire said. I don't care what you say about me. Just spell my name right. Unless you want to act wrong. You know, I, I think it's so funny when black people say, he tried to act wrong. Or not, you know what, I guess white people say it too. So don't call me a racist, you know, don't don't say that. But it's funnier to me when black people say it. 
Because, like, there's a clear difference between action right and action wrong. <laughs> and that's not something that's said much in the white culture. Is white a culture? I don't know. In the, in the culture of the average white suburban household family, we weren't raised to say, try to act wrong. And so it's funny to me to recognize the different dialect that people use based on their upbringing. And it's okay to think it's, some things are funny. But the other day I heard it on the radio or something and I got tickled. I got tickled by it and I thought, I need to bring it up. You know, there are things that black people say that white people don't say. And there are things that white people say that black people don't say. And it's okay to point them out and laugh at them. And just because you laugh at the, at the differences that things that people say has no impact on whether or not you like them from their skin color. And I want to point out how big of a disconnect that is. Because we're at the point now where if we make a joke and it has anything to do with the difference between two people and how they look or how they talk or what they think or what they say or anything that's out of their control, if we joke about anything that's out of someone's control, somebody gets all mad. And I don't understand why. Because, like I said, like there's things that white people do that black, white people can't dance. We can't dance to save our life. And when I see a meme that shows a drunk white person dancing, I think that's just as funny as a black big mama saying, get over here, quit acting wrong, before I get to knock the paws in that ass. And it's funny to me. And I'm sorry if that offends you. Actually, I'm not sorry. I don't even care if it offends you. I don't know how I got off on that tangent. I guess commented that somebody was acting wrong. All right, next topic. EV situation, electric vehicles. As we all know, the price of gas be sky high. And as we all predicted, the government is trying to push EVs on everyone. Never mind that the cheapest Tesla you could buy is like $50,000. Ugh, these people. These people that have lived wealthy their whole lives think that green energy is the solution to all our problems. And it is, as long as you can scratch a check for a $50,000 car. You know, it, we should be holding these politicians to a level of, hey, instead of telling someone that they need to go out and buy an electric car, why don't we teach them some financial education and teach them that getting a loan to buy a car at seven years is not the way to do it and explain to them why and how you can end up upside down and what happens to cars and how they depreciate and all that. But no, 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 we're more focused on telling them what they need to go do. So one thing that people haven't thought of is the battery situation for these cars. I don't know what percentage of all the cars in the U.S. are electric, but I'd guess it's probably like five or four or maybe even less. So the government is injecting all this money into an industry. They're saying, hey, here's some subsidies. Go make electric cars. Hey, here's some re rebates for you to give your customers. Go make electric cars. Hey, here's some money for you to put solar panels on your roof. Don't forget, you need a battery backup system. And so they're injecting all this money into an industry. And what's happened, or what they failed to realize, is that we can't produce the, the, the components of batteries fast enough. And all these batteries, they take what's called lithium and all these other rare metals, palladium and nickel. And so... Sure, it's great to, to push this agenda in the name of saving the earth and the environment, but we've had enough time to store a ton of this lithium and palladium and all these precious metals. We've been mining them for a long time, so we had a good amount of supply. And then all of a sudden, there was this huge rush on batteries. And people looked up and they go, Hey, man, uh, we, don't, we don't have enough lithium to make all these batteries. What are we going to do? And now everyone's scrambling to try to find lithium because the problem is it costs more to pull it out of the ground than what battery makers are willing to buy it for. And so it's just so happened that over the years, the we've built up enough because the people who bought it would buy small quantities. They just buy a little bit at a time. And when you do that, you can sell something for more, right? The price that you'll pay for one Coke out of a machine is very different that if you go to Sam's and you buy 24 of them. So they've been just pissanting this lithium. And for those of you who don't know, pissanting is just a country way to say moving or selling something a little bit at a time. So 
We've been pissing this lithium, and it's been working. But now they're like, well, we're not going to go mine it. You guys aren't willing to pay enough because you, you, you want a discount. You buy it in this quantity. So what's happening? All these little companies are popping up to do recycling, lithium recycling. And Elon Musk, a while back, was begging people to go mine nickel. And so it's these these things are the unintended consequences that anytime you have some kind of policy or anytime that you you force something to happen, you say, by golly, we're going green at any expense. This is the type of issues that you have because the EV sector has taken off faster than it would organically. Meaning if the government have not been subsidizing it and giving people rebates and covering losses that these EV guys are 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 incurring the growth would be slower and and they think oh it's just a race we're gonna we're gonna run out of time we gotta save the environment before we all burned up and i disagree with that but that's not the point of this conversation the point of this conversation is to explain to you how things go wrong whenever you force an industry into existence i've used this example before but way back in the day day they had a problem with cobras in india and so what the government did was they put a bounty on the cobras. They said, hey, any cobra that you bring us, we'll give you five bucks. Dead cobra. And then all of a sudden, people were bringing cobras. They were getting, bringing more cobras, and they were getting paid, and they were making money. What they figured out was there was some dude outside town that was just breeding cobras, selling the baby cobras for three or four bucks a piece. You go turn it in and make five. All you got to do is chop its head off along the way. And so there are always unintended consequences. And it blows my mind. Actually, it doesn't. You know, I've gotten to the point where I don't expect politicians to be able to understand things like unintended consequences. But they exist, and here we are. Everyone's scrambling, trying to figure out how we're going to make these giant batteries for electric vehicles. How we're going to dispose of them. And so I think this is the year to maybe look at investing in commodities and metals. I don't know. But could be something worth looking into. Speaking of unintended consequences, I think things like this that you're about to hear is probably unintended by the Biden voters. They voted for him because of Big Ben Trump. And then they get stuff like this. Here's uh, Joe Biden eloquently marking the end of, of COVID. Or try, he's trying to anyway. He's trying to. The only way to spare more pain and more loss, the only way these millstones no longer mark our national mourning, these milestones, I should say, no, what? no longer what, 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 what? mark what? our national mourning. What? What? Uh, yeah. Can you, can you say that again for me, Joey? One more time. The only way to spare more pain and more loss, the only way. These millstones no longer mark our national mourning. These milestones, I should say, no no longer mo mark our national mourning. That's a powerful individual right there. That's a powerful man. You know, some guys, even as they get old, they're still powerful. They're still they're still strong. And maybe maybe they just seem that way because we remember them from from being young. But I've had some relatives like that, that even as they get older, we still respect them because they still have strength and they still push back on things and they still challenge things and they're leaders and they make decisions and they put themselves at risk and they do unpopular decisions when they think it's good, but they're still powerful. They're still strong. And one day... When a man sees the power shift, he never loses the respect for the guy. In my family, there have been some guys that have been true leaders. They've, they've paved the way for the family. They've set the tone. They kind of make the rules like the chief of the Indian tribe, you know? And as the chief gets older and they get weaker and their mind gets weaker and they're not able to process things, you know, we still have a level of respect for them. 
And in my opinion, the reason that we respect them or that that respect never wanes is because they were truly leaders in their day. And they've earned that respect, regardless of where their mind is now or that they have to wear diapers or that they're in a wheelchair or they use a walker. We remember the times that they were powerful and they were strong and they would stand up to people and they would hold people accountable and they would challenge ideas and they would accept new input and they would do all the things that good leaders do. And since I've never seen Biden do that, and I've been looking for a long time, I've never seen him act like a leader. Sorry, when you get old and frail and weak and you're barking orders at people and you're trying to talk to them like they're children, I don't respect you. I don't respect you. So I don't know why. <laughs> Sometimes I just go off on these tangents. Ugh, a pity for anyone that spends any time inside my brain. Speaking of brains, guess what we get to talk about? COVID and mask. I'm kidding. I'm kind of kidding, but I'm not really. I always use it as a segue. There's always something behind the, the mask and, the, and, the, and the, the behavior. Okay, I want you to think back to when, when mask mandates were lifted and how lots of people still wore masks. In fact, here in Corpus Christi, I'd say that if you go to a public place, probably 10 to 20% of the people still have the piece of face diaper on. And even though our case count is below like 40 a day and we have 400,000 people, there's people who still wear masks. And you know what? That's their decision. And, and I know that the reason that they're wearing masks is because they're scared of getting the virus. If they weren't scared... They wouldn't wear the mask. It doesn't matter. Oh, well, I'm high risk because I'm fat. Well, okay, but you're still scared. So regardless of why you're scared, you're still scared, and that's okay. I'm not saying you shouldn't be. But so we know that people still wore them even though they weren't required to because they were scared of the virus. That's fine. Let's just leave that there. Now I want you to think about those people who once the mask mandate was lifted and and the the CDC, the the ruler of all the land, the, the bearer of the crown and, and goblet said, you must no longer wear a mask if you don't want to. And so everyone's like, sweet, mask off, boom, next day. And those are the people that follow the rules. They don't want to get in trouble. They don't want to get kicked out of restaurants. I'm fine with them too. But the minute they were told they could take the mask off, they did. But then there was the group of people who judged the people for not wearing masks, even though the CDC told us we didn't have to. Those are the people you got to look out for. So if you'll think back to the statement of the reunion address, State of the Union, they didn't, no one had masks on. And that was because three days prior, the CD said, the CD said, the CDC said, you must no longer wear a mask if you don't want to. Foot. And so everyone showed up to the State of the Union with no mask on. Even Kamala Harris and Nancy Pelosi, who the day before, the day before, they were wearing masks, okay? And then all of a sudden, they lift the mandate and masks go away. Now, these were the same people that were judging people who wanted to fly in a plane with no mask once the CDC took the mask mandate away. And so one of two things happened whenever the Pelosi and Kamala just decided oh, the one, one magical day after midnight, it's now safe. Okay, so they made this decision. And so that tells me that they weren't worried. They weren't scared because if they were scared, they would have kept wearing the mask. So they clearly illustrate that by removing the mask after midnight, they weren't scared. Now, please ignore the street bikes that you hear racing. I think they're. Uh, one or two backyards over, and it sounds like there's literally street bikes racing around someone's backyard. So you might be able to hear those. So anyway, they showed to us that they weren't scared. So what else does that tell us? That tells us that they didn't question the science. They didn't question things. They didn't question the CDC. And do we want leaders who just don't question things, that they just say, oh, well, even though the statistics don't support this stuff, we're going to just trust the science. 
Or do we want leaders who say, wait a minute, time out, guys. Explain to me why we're doing this. Show me the numbers. Convince me that this is good. And I would rather have that. Okay? I would rather have someone who says, whoa, 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 whoa. Before we go to making people do things, we need to really, really see how this thing's going to work, how it's going to happen. I want someone to question things, even science. Even question science. Is that is that unbelievable? I mean... If we don't question science, if we didn't question quote unquote science, we'd probably be back to in the state that we were 50, 75, maybe 100 years ago. Imagine if every discovery was just, that's it. That's the science. We're no longer going to question it because the scientists said it's this way. And so there's no longer waste any more time looking into it because the science has already declared that this is right. And you don't have the right to go question what they say. This is all my opinion. I could be wrong. This is just how I feel. But I want politicians that will question things. And they will say, time out. Wait a minute. Why do you want to send money to Ukraine? Our economy's going broke. Gas is five bucks a gallon. Milk's four fifty, five bucks a gallon. And we're sending billions of dollars to Ukraine? What? Just say just ask why. You hear the street bikes? Like, who or they, I think they're just sitting in the driveway revving up a street bike. You know, that's one thing that gets me going is motorcycle revvers. You know, we don't need motorcycle revvers, just for the record. If you're a motorcycle revver, nobody likes to hear that. No one, I promise. Speaking of craziness, man, this past St. Patty's Day. And I'm not a big St. Patrick's Day guy. I don't really think there's much to celebrate I realize that I'm kind of a stick in the mud and that I'm an old grumpy man who's kind of a hermit. Like, I get all that. But this past St. Patrick's Day, we were getting real close to the bottom of our bank account at the brewery. And Kayla and I both thought, we've got to do something, dude. We got to, we got to have some kind of party. We got to get, we need money in the account quick. So we just pushed St. Patrick's Day. We made a bunch of green beer. We had a costume contest. We had bingo. And then I made corned beef, which was an exhausting experience, but I pulled a rabbit out of a hat. We had corned beef sandwiches on rye bread with sauerkraut and Swiss cheese. And yes, Russian dressing. And we had the busiest day we've ever had. The busiest weekday we've ever had was on St. Patrick's Day. Man, and I tell you what, these people, they love it. They we're all in costumes and cheering and screaming. And who am I to say that's a bad thing? You know, like it was kind of a refreshing moment for me to just just revel in the people's enjoyment. Let them have a good time. Even though it's not for me, it kind of opened my eyes that, hey, it's not for you, but that doesn't mean it's stupid. In their opinion, they like it. And I'm okay with that. As long as they give me their money before they leave. I'm just kidding. Kind of. I'm just kidding. Kind of. But it, it really was eye-opening to me to see a bunch of people in there having a great time, drinking green beer, which is still funny to me that's important to people. But we had like, I'm not joking, I had like 16 phone calls. Um, are y'all serving green beer today? Yep, we sure are. Come on up. Okay. You think you'll run out? Well, I don't know. But we know where H-E-B is. And that green beer can be made real quick. And so... By the end of the night, all the beer tenders' hands were all green from all the food coloring. It was pretty funny. And it was crazy, but man, what really felt good about the whole day was that the whole team pulled together. And everyone, all the staff, including me, Kale, salespeople, everyone, we all got our asses kicked. We were chasing our tail all day. We were all exhausted. But we all did it. We all dominated. And it was really, really satisfying to see everyone come together. And all take our licks and get our ass handed to us and show back up the next day at work. So big congrats to the Nuasis Brewing team. We all pulled rabbit out of the hat. We had like no bad complaints. Food la- food food wait was like up to an hour, hour and a half. And we were telling people that, hey guys, food's gonna be an hour, hour and a half. And it's been my experience that as long as you communicate that to people, they can't complain. Because they still chose to place the order after they knew how long it was going to be. 
The trick to customer service is setting the expectation early and often. You put that down in your book, put my name next to it. Today's title might just be all of Brandon's opinions in one podcast. (laughs) For my next trick, I know I briefly talked about how stupid it was that we're talking about transgender people, but I'm going to talk about it a little bit. And I know it's stupid, and I know I said it's stupid, and that's okay. But once again, it segues into a bigger picture. And the bigger picture of this whole thing is that we can't accommodate everyone all the time. We can't make exceptions for everyone. Now, I know it seems rude and inconsiderate and uncompassionate or incompassionate or whatever you want to call it, but it's true, right? Think about if every door that was installed had to have a secondary knob three feet lower for little people. Or think about if there was a law that said, you know what, since some people are taller than six feet, eight inches, we need to raise all the doorways in the country to seven feet. You know, we don't do those types of things because they don't warrant it. We would rather the little person stand on their tippy toes to open the door or the really tall person to lower their head to walk through the door. And so I think it's important to look at statistics whenever we're making these exceptions and these policies. And, you know, how many people are there competing in college sports as a woman that used to be a man? Three, four, maybe something like that. So it's not, it's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. And if people want to accommodate them, sure. I don't think we should. There should be no law saying that we have to. Laws are expensive. They take tons of time, tons of energy, and most of all, tons of paper. And so we don't need to, we don't need to worry about these little insignificant things because they don't really matter. You know, why, why are you arguing about whether or not some kid gets taught about transvestites at school, if you don't even have a kid, let the parents fight that battle. You have your opinion, which is, well, if I had a kid, I would rather be the one to teach him about that. But since I don't have a dog in the fight, I'm not worried about it. I don't know. I just feel like if people took up the fight that mattered most to them and not just jumped on board with every single thing that came up in the news. And this is partly why we're so divided is that people feel the need to take a side one side or the other. What's your stance? What you st- what's your stance on that? What, which side are you on? I don't know. I don't have a kid. I don't care about transvestites. It has no effect on my bubble. And I think that we should all focus more on the things in our bubble and don't worry about the, transvestite swimmers of of course it's stupid we all know it's stupid of course it doesn't make sense we all know that so do we need to stand around and and fluff each other saying well i hate it do you hate it yep it's so dumb yeah it is so stupid like 99 percent of the people think that but if they can distract us with little things like that then we're not pointing the finger at them point the finger at them who cares about the transvestites Brandon, you said you don't care about transvestites. Maybe. Or maybe I said I'm just not concerned with their behavior. I'm not going to fight for something that is statistically insignificant. If I was a transvestite, I would never expect anyone to make any exceptions on my behalf. Listen, I'm not a little dude. I don't fit well in back seats, but you know what? I'll be the first to go get in a back seat. Because I don't want someone else to have to make an exception on my behalf. I don't need credit for it. I'm just telling you how I think. I'm just telling you that it's okay to not put yourself first and say, you know what? I chose this lifestyle. I'm not going to go win at a bunch of girl swimming competitions because really I'm not a girl. And the problem isn't that we allow these people to compete. The problem is that we're raising people who think it's okay to compete And we're raising people who support them in their desire to compete. And that is all. That is all I'm going to say about transvestites today. I just think back to a simpler day when the word tranny meant transmission. Speaking of Mexican people, you know, I think pretty soon we we won't be allowed to say the word Mexican. And I don't know if we'll have a word for people who are from Mexico or have Mexican heritage. But I live in a neighborhood that's pretty diverse. 
and I'm okay with that. You know, I look around me, and I don't live in a fancy neighborhood by <laughs> any stretch, and I've never cared about that. My my last house was on 10 acres, big fancy house, thought it was going to be there forever, didn't work out, but it was in the middle of a bunch of houses that were old shacks that were kind of falling down, a bunch of families living on the same property, and it never bothered me. And that's how I know that I'm not one of these people. And you'll, this doesn't correlate between right and left. This is just the type of person. But there's the type of people who refuse to live amongst a certain class. And they would rather live behind a gate. And don't get me wrong, I have a gate going into my backyard. But I'm not concerned about who I live around. And I don't have to live in some big fancy upscale neighborhood. And at the same time, I'm fine if you want to. I'm fine if you want to, but this is just another example to show how the people that are always critical of the right, you know, that, that they're classifying them as being a certain type of person. That's not true because the right, quote unquote, is more likely to live amongst people who are dissimilar to them. You know, the, the left, and, and I'm generalizing. I understand that. I'm doing exactly what I'm knocking on them for, because I see patterns. And the, typically, it's the the people who are pointing the finger at people for something are typically the ones who are guilty for that exact same thing. And so the people who are screaming, we have to be more diverse. We have to live in a diverse society. Are the people that live in these super tall gated neighborhoods. And then to say, well, the, the right's racist. No, racist is hate Mexican people. Or what do they love to say? Oh, they hate brown people. They hate brown people. And all that comes from immigration. Like, people assume that a certain group of people hate people based on their skin color. But really, it's no. We don't. We really we hate criminals. We hate people that, that commit crimes. They're not good for us. They're not good for our communities. We don't like criminals and so one of the ways to bring down crime is to eliminate those people or not allow them to become part of the population and in this specific case we're allowing people to come into the country illegally that's no joke it's no secret we are we're allowing them to come and some of them are criminals i don't care what you say i don't care your opinion i don't care about the facts that you think that some of them are criminals it might be one percent it might be two. Who knows what it is? But I don't find anything wrong with us saying, hey, in order to keep from those criminals coming in, we're not going to just let anyone in. We're not going to let people just pour in and, and, and skirt the laws that we have in place. We need to vet them and make sure. And I'm sorry, guys, but the good ones, you guys don't get to come in because there's some bad ones. And yes, sometimes the bad ones... They, ru they ruin it for the good ones. And and there might be someone hearing this saying, yeah, well, that's how we feel about guns. The bad ones are ruining it for the good ones. And we want to take away guns so that no one kills anybody. Well, the difference between pouring into a country illegally and possessing a firearm is that one is a right given by the Constitution and the other one's not. So while I'm not okay with the bad ones spoiling it for the good ones when it comes to rights. I am okay with the bad ones spoiling it for the good ones when it comes to privileges. Hm. If you've ever tried to record something and you've heard background noise, you, you know what's going on in my blood pressure right now. I don't even have to tell you. It's a good thing I took my nerve pills this morning. I want to talk a little bit about Google, and then I'm going to wrap this thing up like a birthday present. Before I get into Google, I want to talk about lemonade stands and how a lemonade stand is a great opportunity to teach kids about business and the fundamentals. And I really do think that if we had like a little, a little website or a little guide that, that, that like walked kids through lemonade stands to teach them the elements of business that their parents might not know, that'd be a pretty cool feature. If I ever gain enough money from this podcast, that's the kind of things I'm going to do. Because I've kind of realized that one of my passions is helping people grow businesses. And teaching kids at a young age how to do that, I think would be rewarding for me, and it would benefit the kid also. 
Anyway, so we teach kids about lemonade stands at a very, very young age and how to work for business and how your money comes in and money goes out. I think it's a great thing. And if you think about the lemonade stand as just a teeny tiny little business, that's all it is. Some of them fail. Some of them don't. Some of them are profitable. Some of them aren't. And now I want you to think about someone like you or me or whatever that, you know, you make fifty to $100,000 a year and you have two cars and you have a couple thousand dollars in your checking account at any given time. And what it would take for you to go buy a bunch of these lemonade stands. And so if you wanted to go buy 15 lemonade stands, I know there's no market for lemonade stands, but we're speaking hypothetically here. If you wanted to go buy these lemonade stands, you could probably do it. You could probably walk up to a little kid and say, hey, I'll buy all your lemonade and your recipe and everything for 500 bucks. And they'd go, okay. And then take the money and run. Now, the difference, ugh, let me back up a little bit. So Google right now is just buying up companies left and right. They're just buying them, buying them, buying them. And since Google has so much money, the, the cost of these businesses is almost nothing to Google. Even those four or $5 billion, I mean, Google takes poops bigger than that. So they're having the ability to go buy these teeny tiny little companies and they're steering them in the direction they want them to go. And typically, these little businesses provide some sort of service or something that Google was paying for. And they realize they're going to need it for eternity. So they just buy it and let it keep running. And then that way, they can make sure they have control of it. Now, some of these businesses make it and some of them don't. Some of them turn into be a huge part of their platform. Like look at um, Instagram, Facebook bought. And also WhatsApp, which is a huge app, just not in this country. And so through that, every time they buy one of these companies, they get more and more powerful and they have the ability to steer the direction and change the core values of these businesses. And they just broaden their reach. Now, at the same time that's going on, government's getting involved in big tech and they're funneling them money. And they're saying, here's some money to could compete with China because we know you can't do it because, well, all the laws that we put in place won't let you do it. So here's some money to make up for it. So now these guys are going to be able to go out and buy more companies, have more control, and steer them in the direction that they want them to go. And I think we're looking down the barrel of a loaded gun. I think these big tech companies are about to have so much power, we won't know what to do. We're going to, and it's, we're getting pretty close, but we're going to look up and we're going to say, oh boy, they're running the country. And it's hard to break them up. I'm not a huge fan of just destroying a company because they were profitable. But I definitely think we need to look around and we need to figure out what's happening and, and what can possibly be done. I don't know the answer to this. I don't know. I, I, I rack my brain about it. I think about it all the time. I don't think um, necessarily forcing people into a position to compete with these businesses is right. I don't know. I don't know. But there's going to come a point in time where we're going to look around and say, dude, they are powerful. The only thing I can think of is that we'll have other businesses, hopefully, that will rise up to compete with them and to create like this tug of war where these two giant businesses are duking it out. But it'll be to the point where they're pretty powerful and they'll, they'll be able to challenge the government, I feel like. That's probably a 30, 40, 50 year situation, but I think we're getting close. Because the more money the government's going to give these big tech companies, the more money they're going to turn on and give back to the government. Just the way that it goes. I scratch your back, you scratch mine. We're all in this together. I hope the lemonade analogy made sense. It's just a way to illustrate how buying companies is very, very simple for people like Google. It's not that risky. Just like it wouldn't be that big of a deal for you to go buy five or six lemonade stands and then just keep the ones that were profitable. Okay, I can no longer handle the dirt bike racing in my backyard, so... I'm going to go now. We're at 60 minutes, which is a extra long podcast for your charge for you guys. I'm probably done with technology for the day. I've had about all I can stand, about three days straight. I've been sitting at a desk staring at screens and cords. The weather outside is delightful. So I'm going to go get some vitamin D, and I hope you do too. Thanks again for tuning in to the Life in Paradise podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Harper. Hope everyone had a great St. Patrick's Day. 
I really would appreciate it if you would share this podcast. And if you go out there and you're brave and be respectful and disagree with people without being an asshole, the world will be a better place. Thanks again for listening to the Life in Paradise podcast. Keep it tranquilo. Mm-hmm.